0: There's some people that are annoyed because their type of humour isn't liked by one group and the other group get annoyed because some other people want to do right-wing jokes. Well, if the jokes are legal, you're just going to have to suck it up and be offended. That's part of the joy of living in a free country.
1: Russell, is comedy's very existence under threat from woke culture?
0: Uh, you've got to defend the word woke. I, I, every, because the problem with that word like that... It would be like me saying, what do you think of my auntie Maureen? It's, it that it means it literally has that meaning because it's a word where everyone's taken their own meaning. So without means I will definitely answer the question, but I just need to know what you mean by the word woke. Okay, people Do you mean people that are awake to the idea that racism is real? Mm-hmm. Do you mean people question. that are awake to the idea that people with disabilities might have less advantages than able-bodied people? Do you think you're asking me if that threatens comedy? <laughs> <laughs> or do you do, just mean ponty pom- pom- virtue do, signaling, fake ass woke people? Is that is that how you're using it? Yeah, I suppose I've not really thought of the meaning as exactly. Yeah, and this is this is the problem with this whole area. Or maybe it. it's not a problem.
1: Maybe it's no. The problem
0: just, with this this whole identity politics debate is people. If just as long, as, if you just think about the words you're using first. I, someone asked me about Piers Morgan the other day, and they were like, "Oh, you know, you can't say anything these days." I'm like, "But." One of the most powerful, interesting, very successful people in the media is Piers Morgan, who says whatever the hell he likes. The most prominent, successful, funny, trending, number one comedian is Ricky Gervais at the moment, who says whatever he likes on any subject. Uh, If you want to come stay in just British TV, because Ricky's International, it's probably Jimmy Carr, who literally joked about gypsies in the Holocaust next month. Where is the evidence? (laughs) Well, I mean, if but I got- these
1: of, people are on top of the world,
0: untouchable. Yeah, by doing that stuff. Un- unbreakable. The very crampons they are using are the crampons of how extreme and how boundary breaking can I use to ascend to the mountain of offence. And I always say, get in a time machine. Let's go back in a time machine to 1970. Push me on stage and perform my exact, exact set on Channel 4. And the moment I used the C word, I'd be cancelled, deleted and gone. Because you couldn't even use a swear word back then because they were so woke and moral. So the things that we can talk about, I can literally go on to probably ITV1 at 10 p.m. and do a routine about banging a prostitute in the ass and it will go out unedited. People forget how much we can say now. You know, Someone who's gay can, go and can get off with his mate live on TV and doesn't get stoned to death outside the studio anymore. So it's just, I think we've changed the things we can say with things we can't. But I bet you if we were able to do a graph of number of things which could be said and number of things we've got, I think the net value would be greater now. I feel like more things can be said. Never forget, Julian Clary did a pun. It was only a pun about fisting Norman Lamont. So fisting is what you do outside the treasury. You go like that to show the budget. He went, sorry, I was late, I was fisting Norman Lamont. Didn't work for seven years, because he did a fisting joke. Now you fucking could fist Joan Collins, whoever you want, merrily and get (laughs) rebooked. Maybe we Um, should be more woke. Comedy's so offensive, you can say anything. Yeah. I mean, apart from breaking British laws, I can't go on stage and and scream the N-word at the audience. It's, It's illegal. It's deemed to encourage violence against people of color. I can't go on stage and try and get a group of lads to sexually assault a girl in the audience for a bit of banter. That's illegal. Uh, I can't say something that's libelous or false that might damage someone's career and stop them earning money. But that's no different from, as far as I know it, a few years ago, it's just that some some other words have been recognised as to cause harm. That's my my cut off. Does it cause harm, hate, or criminal activity in the real world? If not, it's probably okay. Not my taste, I hasten to add. Not my type of humour, I would tell. Mm. So
1: you don't think woke... Exists it's just a label that's just not a thing.
0: I think there's some people that are annoyed because their type of humor Isn't liked by one group and the other group get annoyed Because some other people want to do right right-wing jokes Well, if the jokes are legal, you just gonna have to suck it up and be offended. That's part of the joy of living in a free country mm. if on the other hand I could prove by Doing a joke in a sketch show. Let's make it surreal. So, so me and you make a sketch about Liechtensteinian people. Okay. So the least offensive race I can think of. It's not even a race. It's a tiny principality. And we get a we get a running joke going about Liechtensteinian people, which causes bullying of Liechtensteinian children and kids. They get punched. Which is what happened with a lot of seventies comedy. White comedian would go on TV, do some sort of black joke, and then and then it would be imitated. Normally with a little bit of a violent chaser in the playground the next week. That's clearly that's clearly no good. So I think when words in- encourage actual acts of, v- of violence or damage or emotion or proper psychological damage, then yes, it's, I'm not worried. The law is the law is there, and for me, it's interesting that bit in the middle where we fight it out. That's culture. You know, it's when we look at a white square on a wall in a gallery. You know, Dave and Terry go, Fuck, "It's fucking a white square. What a load of shit!" How's ah, that two million quid? But me and you stroke our chins and start talking about Mondrian. Then we can have an argue about it and find out who's right. Well, the market will decide that one. Mm. That will decide.
1: (laughs) So is comedy under threat from people who get offended too easily and want to silence
0: those who offend them? Um, Some comedy is, but I just, again, I would just go straight onto iPlayer if you're watching this and watch the Mary Whitehouse documentary. I don't know if people have got amnesia or something. This woman spent 30 to 40 years having the most ridiculously things silenced and canceled that you and I would see as a human right to say that. And she was successful. She got a lot of like conservative housewives behind. She's gone now and all that lot are defeated. Thank God. So if comedy survived then, why wouldn't it survive? Now, if anything, were we to take away rules, then where's the naughtiness? Where's the impishness? Where's the low key, not low key, where's the low key type jester stick that's pushing the boundary? We need a boundary. That's where funny is. That's where the, the frisson is. That's where the thrill is. That's why a roller coaster works because part of your mind thinks, well, I might die. Otherwise, you just sit on it like Ted Bundy with no emotions. Mm. That, that you need boundary and argument and debate at the periphery of stand up for the excitement of the joke to work. Otherwise, anything goes. Nothing's funny.
1: Mm. Right. So. Um... You are a comedian, a presenter, an actor, an author, and a scriptwriter. Yes. And I did, you used to be a sales copywriter. Yes. I've been, I'm looking for one of those right now. So if was, you get
0: cancelled, yes. call me up. Well, well, I've always, I, it's something I always consider, would I go back to it?
1: Because yeah. that's an art
0: form, I think. Co- yeah, I was a copywriter, I worked in an advertising agency, and I absolutely loved it. And I'm the only person in my family to have ever used my brain for a living. I'm the only one with an A level, let alone a degree. As far as I know, I've got locked about 20 odd cousins. I don't have a single other A level, let alone a fucking you know, degree. So to go and be sat on the like, pink fluffy couch brainstorming for a living, I absolutely loved it. It was a mm. real privilege. And this second career has happened, or third career technically, because I had to get into uni, has um, been an accident. And I would go back to it happily. Mm. I would not see it as a step down. And, how much longer can I go like this? Do you know what I mean? At my energy. Maybe I will go back to it. Mm. it, it honestly, during lockdown, I said Lin, "I said to Lindsay, should I start an advertising agency? Because I, I love it.
1: They're, they're not on my script, but there's a major demand demand for ads right now. Mm. Ads is super hard.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot of white noise in marketing because you got to get through all the new media. So original and uh, groundbreaking communication and brand strategy is... Without getting too nerdy, I'm not sure people haven't tuned in to hear me talk about brand, brand strategy and stuff like that. But uh, it's really important. And I think what I've learned in the comedy world about rule-breaking and uh, guerrilla tactics and the way to sort of subvert the mind using humour, there's probably some sort of specialist ad agency that could sit there that you go to when you want sort of humour, naughtiness, subversiveness. I can already think of a dozen brands, you know, you know, your pot noodles of this world, things like that. So when people ask you what
1: you do, do you just say comedian or yeah. is there more to it than that?
0: No, I think primarily com- comedian is the main job, but it's quite sort of symb- symbiotic really with the with the television work. So that means either doing comedy, like pure comedy on TV, or funny, funny presenting. I think a few years ago I started to experiment sort of doing all kinds of things. I was on Question Time, giving it the big end, I was on this and that. Then I stuck a post-it over my desk, which my agent made me write, which was, can you be funny on it? And if if your answer to that is no, why are you doing it? And the answer to that is ego, because you want to look show-off clever, because you come from a council estate. So you have to be really careful. I call it floating bumhole disease. And floating (laughs) bumhole disease is when you get famous uh, in a sort of largely working class or mainstream profession like stand-up that normal people go to watch a bumhole starts floating next to you like that, begging you to disappear up it. Uh, you're, you're a novelist, come on, you're an intellectual. You're a politician, come on up the bum hole. And, and uh, go on, wear eyeliner, go on up you go. And I was, I, I reckon I had a good Julie and Clary fist into that bumhole hole. For <laughs> I, I had a word with myself, change management, changed life, changed woman, Just change, everything changed and I just sorted my shit out, boom. What about back, back now, album?
1: But with social media, are there not opportunities which are a bit off the specific brand but could make you go
0: viral? Um, or be well, good for growth. They're all part they're all within the can you be funny on it portfolio right. portfolio. Yeah. So if I was a if I'm Porsche, for example, do Porsche make watches? Yes they do. They do. There's branding and merchandising opportunities where you can wear a Porsche watch or have Porsche trainers. Is it off brand? No, because you're buying the Porsche trainers and it's still all in the aerodynamic design. It's about cool design values, moving parts, um, German technology. So it's all a, it's all part of the same portfolio. So if I make a funny video about Love Island in my bedroom, it's still me doing a joke about. It's still me trying to be funny. Mm. The only thing I miss off, just because I can't bear myself to bear doing it, is hit subscribe. I do not come and see me live. I just can't. It's too too on the nose. He fucking makes me do that on well, every di- video,
1: and I hate doing it. Yeah, it's
0: different. It's different. It is different, but it's it's because <laughs> I'm selling, people should just
1: subscribe to the i I'm selling the illusion
0: of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: yeah. it's slightly different. Yeah. In what way? In what way is it different from like me I d- doing it? I just
0: think if you see a standard going, please, please laugh, please, come <laughs> in. please tell me. I funny it's it's not the same as if, if you've enjoyed my business uh, talk, Please, you know, subscribe for more business. It it sort of sits. The tone sits better.
1: Yeah. So I think we'll wait on the freedom of speech, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Um,
0: oh, that's ironic, isn't it? You, Did you just suppress a segment on the freedom of speech? No, no. <laughs> just telling them what's coming we, up next. We were going to talk about freedom of speech, but that bit has been redacted until later. <laughs> How do you fucking think and talk so fast? I don't, well, number one, I'm very lucky. There's a lot of drugs and alcohol in my business. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I'm a hyper responder to coffee. I can't explain it. Uh, it is, I absolutely worship and adore coffee. I'm a snob. If I see a Nescafe logo, I can actually develop eczema for the thought of instant coffee. I need hydrocortisone cream. So it whatever it does to my body, I cannot explain to you, but the neurons in my brain just do that. The downside is Without it, Do you remember when Clark Kent gets beaten up in the food takeaway shop? Is it Superman 2? Yeah. That's me without coffee.
1: So you're not like this all the time? Uh,
0: I'm, I'm, de- I'm
1: definitely not
0: wired like everyone else. I, I remember my mum told me the obstetrician had to have me checked because I was born with my hands doing that. Um, so I'm definitely a, a higher energy and my daughter is the same. Absolute nut job. But, one, but what it is the coffee, and I know this because I, I did have a coffee client when I was advertising. Unlike fake stimulants like cocaine and speed, which will kill you and turn you into a wanker, they promote, spe- they promote speed of thought but not accuracy of conceptual association. Whereas all the evidence suggests, and it's no coincidence Incas have been digging it out of the ground since time immemorial, is if you say to me, right, less of a brainstorm of breeds of cat, and I'm thinking Persian, Siamese, but my synapses are actually doing that accurately and faster under the influence of coffee, caffeine, and nicotine, unhelpfully. But they're the only two that are known to do that without side effects. Obviously, nicotine in a cigarette has side effects. Both highly addictive, I hate to add. Because as an interviewer, it's
1: really hard to work out when the pause is (laughs) coming to stick the neck. Hey, that's all good. I'm really enjoying this, but just, You've
0: got to remember, I'm used to TV. Yeah. So I, am used to someone in my ear going shut up or, or that. So just wow. feel free. No, to... no, I'm enjoying it. It's just like a new challenge for me. <laughs> well, so. i I'm, uh, I'm, I. The good, as a copywriter and a live TV presenter, I have no emotion attached to ditch that bit. We stop speaking now. That yeah. bit's
1: finished. Well, we don't, we don't take but anything out. I don't. It's think, a, but ever. it's a good skill yeah. to
0: learn as a comic because many comedians come into this business and they'll go and present their joke. We like that, but you need to get rid of the joke oh, about your grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have some pseudo cream for my bum? I'm hurting. I'm like, bin it, good, gone, next.
1: Right, because you, from your copywriting days when you have to churn out right. like a lot of crap to write some good
0: stuff. Or you could have been locked in a glass cube for two days coming up with the solution for Vodafone. You sweated, you've missed birthday parties, you've got it, you've got the headline, you know it's the one. You go and present it to the creative director and he hates it, and that's it. There's no negotiation, it's bin, next. That's such an interesting thing to talk about. So you're able to detach ego of Russell
1: from quality of work.
0: You had, Yeah. It's not something I'm... Um, it's just something I, I learned without realizing I was learning it when I was in a bit. Initially, yeah. I, would, I obviously would, it would, would really mess with my head if I... Because sometimes you could look at it as arrogance or some, some sort of minor artistic Asperger's, but I just knew it was the right, I just knew it was the right headline. I can't explain it to you, like a, like God had dropped it in. I knew it was the right solution, I knew it would shift volume, I knew it would drive the brand forward. And to be told, don't like it, without even getting to show it to the client, man, that takes willpower, mm. not to present it like on a black and white visual at the pitch anyway. And yeah. one that the creative director didn't like. I mean, it takes willpower when you've got a strong personality like mine to learn that, but now it's just second nature. I love a rejection. I, I, I got rejection this morning. Really, really good quiz show I've I worked up. Fuck, it's a, I know it's a good show. Be, it's been for weeks with a production company. They've rejected me this morning. Elation. Do you do you really love it though? Yeah. You really oh, love it's it. It's off my desk. I don't have, have you heard back from, have you heard back from Joe Blogs Limited? Have you heard back from Joe Blogs? Produ- yeah, they hate it. I think, fuck, next. What's next? You must've had to learn that though. There must've been a time probably, in your life when rejection hurt. Probably. Probably yeah. yes. I don't. It's it's way back in the copywriting days. It's um, physical and emotional rejection while you're on stage is a completely different thing because that's an animal experience. Oh, let's being, talk about that. Being then. booed at and pelted or whatever. But as far is presenting a piece of work to you and going don't like it, bin it. Though the days of being attached to that process are long gone.
1: Uh, and why is it different when you're getting rejected? Uh, because live. it's
0: it's in, and it's it's non-verbal non. Um, intellectual experience, be feeling like a group of people want to physically hurt you. And your body, when you're public speaking, cannot tell the difference between physical threat and social threat. It lights up, all the science suggests it lights up the same systems. In fact, human beings really only have two fears, fear of social rejection of you or your very closest circle, and fear of physical annihilation of you or your very closest circle. That's it, I can't think of a proper human fear that doesn't fall under one of those two. And if you speak to most people and go, right, you're able-bodied person in your 30s or 40s, there's two doors, you can go through there, there's someone your size, you can get gloved up in a hat and you can box them, or you can go through there with a microphone, you've got to stay on 20 minutes to a drunk audience and do comedy. Most people want to get punched in the face. (laughs) <laughs> so why'd you fucking do it? Exactly. It's uh wasn't a plan, just an accident. Um, I had like I said, I had a good job. I was a copywriter. No reason to change my life. It was a dare. Like I did a bungee rocket in Ibiza once when we were off our tits. Why? I don't know. I just wanted to see what it would feel like. And it was. That's as far as my thinking went. Not a fan of stand up. I'd never been to see it live. Didn't follow it. Didn't really respect it or know anything about it as a discipline. Just a kind of, oh, you're the funny one at work. Everything you come out with, try it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to fucking just not tell anyone. Then it's something to tell the grandkids one day that I tried. I've tried a hundred things that I was shit at. I just happened to be good at that one.
1: So never a plan to be a comedian? Never,
0: Never, It's never been spoken about. It wasn't a thing when I was little. The only thing that was ever on in my house when my dad would watch, you know, Bernard Manning or Jim Davison... I probably laughed when I was 11 or 12, but it wasn't something that resonated with me. Mm. I went into the rave scene where you would hug people as physically and culturally different as you as possible while you're on ecstasy, going, there is no race or gender, man, will join. And no I'd, such thing as woke. You know, I would, yeah, and I would come <laughs> home and my, my dad would be watching you know, Jim Davidson do chalky or something. It just didn't speak to me.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you come from I'm not getting my violin out I never wanted food or clothes or anything like that but when you come from a council estate background you don't, you're not having cultural experiences at the weekend you, what is it this weekend theatre or comedy club or art gallery it's takeaway. your dad's kind of coming from the pub back to school Monday repeat till puberty finishes so I didn't have any contact with it just just bad luck I went to a uni that didn't have stand up which is a tiny minority mm. Most, and so I just ended up aged 25 in an ad agency, and I I thought the Edinburgh Festival was ballet or opera. Honestly, I knew nothing. Totally ignorant.
1: And was there one moment where you thought, I'm bloody good at this, and this
0: is a career for me? Uh, So the first moment I was on stage, that first gig, the hit was, what the fuck was that? So I've take, I've, I won't lie, I've been through. I've been to Ibiza 22 times. I've been to many illegal rare, warehouse raves. I've been going to Ibiza twice this year. I like to party. Unfortunately, it's all avocados and coffee now because of the, the career so full on. Mm. But I've never experienced a buzz like when that first laugh came in. And I was around for the first double-dip doves. <laughs> I've never, I've just never, I didn't know what, what it was. It was like someone... Peeling back your brain, finding the lizard part of your ego where your mum and daddy tell you they love you when you're a baby and injecting drugs in it and then doing it back up. That's what it feels like, storming a gig. Wow. And I got off and I was like, what the fuck was that? And it was uh, it was just okay. My first gig story is so boring. Didn't die, didn't do well. Just got one big laugh in the middle from just a really bad routine about wanking. Um, but the hit of it... And um, I've said this before, but it depends how old people are, but my age, we were brought up to be really scared of... Old heroin. I'm 47 in August. Um, so we were brought up to be really scared of heroin. So there was these heroin adverts on when I was little saying, um, you know, the first time you'll be sick, but you'll come back for more. And you'll keep coming back for more till your life is in pieces. That's what happened with stand-up. It was exactly the same. I was sick the nerves. It killed my relationship within months. My career went down the drain. I was losing weight. I was earning less money. I was being looked over. My life was falling apart and I kept going back and back and back. And then there wasn't really one major moment where I thought I was good. It was over a sequence of that first three months, a sort of cumulative, I'm quite good at this, won a new mat competition. Just got to the point where I couldn't do both. After about two and a half years, my creative director was like, it's decision time. Do you want to stand on the X Factor spot and throw a career in the bin for something that a load of other egomaniacs thought they would be good and they wouldn't? Or do you want to stay here, be on a couple hundred grand a year soon, doing copywriting? I fucking chose that. I chose saying cock into a microphone. It was so stupid, really, <laughs> looking back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, there's something you wrote. I think you wrote, I always like to check these things. I think it's good to try and get it in now. Um, Yeah. I think you wrote about what are you going to do when you're not the next big
0: thing. Is that right? Uh, It might. That sounds like um, an interview or something I might have done. Yeah. That's a long time ago, that.
1: So do you have a plan for what you're not, what you're going to do when you're not the next big thing?
0: Well, I'm not the next big thing, am I? Oh, clearly not. That that the next big thing period lasts for about a year when you're new and, and everyone's right wants to put your name on every document and you're all over TV. So that goes either boom straight into Mickey Flanagan, Romesh, Michael territory, or for the rest of us, 99.9% of us who sort of make it but don't take off into a rocket instantly, you come down that hill and it just becomes. A normal showbiz career of one day being hot, one day being not, sort of lurching, receding, but always growing, sort of thing. So that's it. I just approach it like a. If if you, I'm not approaching it like a business because I'm a cold, hard cynic that doesn't respect art. I'm approaching it like a business to to protect myself, and because that's how I was brought up. You earn money, you work, and you're not a snob about it. So I don't. If by not thinking about it in those terms, I just think. How's the tour selling? Are the, am I playing one to three thousand seaters, full to the back most of the time? Am I working on TV at least a couple of times a month, ideally once a week? If those things are happening, I don't analyse it because the moment you start doing that, you lose speed and power and, and aggression because you become caught up in what Joe blogs or Jane blogs is doing. Mm. What, so, where's the good in it? You can't change it. Yeah.
1: So you've not got a fear that either getting cancelled or you're just not popular anymore and you haven't got the next no, t- move I, of your career.
0: I haven't planned for can't like cancelled or, you know, sudden heart attack and, and dropping dead on on stage because that could happen to anyone in any job these days. You can mm. be a high-flying estate agent, make a wrong move at the office party and, you, and your life's over. So it's not unique to my profession. It's just more people know my face making it more awkward when it does happen. But so far as people stopping coming to the theatre and popularity dwindling, that is... Or I've 100% planned for. I'm not like, oh please, help am Ken Dodd. I'm like, right, property business. What about that? Um, Lindsay is, my wife's a bit of an entrepreneur. So she's worked, been experimenting. On, over the last 10 years, basically, I've been doing some biohacking stuff, reading about how you can stop aging, and everyone made fun of me. All my friends oh, it's a load of old shit oh, yeah. it's a fucking snake oil salesman but I was going to the original scientists people like David Sinclair and people like that and Trent teaching myself to read the papers and Lindy's, Lindsay's research the chemicals and been using me like a gerbil basically so I'm Botox free I'm filler free at point of recording I'm not against it I'm just so far I haven't done it and now I'm starting to not look like my 46, 47 year old friends I'm starting to not have the same energy as my 46, 47-year-old friends. So this, they've gone a bit quiet, taking the piss out of I me and calling me crazy snake oil man because it's what's clear that some of these behaviors, whether it's the simple stuff like diet and exercise or the more complex stuff like working with compounds like NMN or resveratrol or whatever, that they do work. They ace every double blind trial. So that's my next business I wanna work on. or Lindsay will work on it. Um, to, yeah, Tony to Lawrence
1: just did something a ago, biohacking business. He? So what's he yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, he just um, he's written his new book on this life something, and yeah, he's just been he's promoting an NMN product. Yes. I didn't sit the seminar myself, but you talk about that a bit. Then sounds well, interesting. I so.
0: can't really because I, the the idea that we've come across is a real gap need. That when I talk to anyone about this, I know I know I think I've worked out why it's only ever going to be me, you, Tony Robbins, and Professor Jane University. They're ever going to sit around a table eating NMN. I think I know why. It doesn't cross over into Terry, Dave, Leanne, and Laura in the high street. I think I know why, and the business is going to solve that.
1: And you can't talk about that. Why would I do that? someone with more money than
0: me are going to do it first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> I right. think I've worked it out because I think like one of the advantages of being a, a working class nobody for so long My life, like proper council scumbag, followed by relative nobody, is that I always say to the audience: my first language remains Chav. I speak it fluently and proudly. And the advantage of that is, I have got a better hold on how a man in the street and woman in the street think. Like when the Brexit thing happened, I knew what, like I knew what real people were really saying, not what middle class people thought, working class people were saying. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I try to bring that. I'd like to bring that to business, whether it's, uh, what, what Lindsay and I would love to do is a ha- another business is, which she's developing, she's doing really well, which is a housing business, but where the housing stock only goes to into affordable or social need. So there's a guaranteed income for the people who want to earn a living, but then the people getting the houses might be you know women from women's shelters or new families or people that need help working with the council at fair rates or, I'd love to solve the affordable housing thing, I'd love to be the hero that did that. I'm Mm. interested in that area, property.
1: Yeah, well, the government aren't really doing much at the moment, are they, so?
0: No, not really. Mm.
1: So, haters, trolls, um, must be a big thing for comedians. Yeah. Um, How do you handle them, deal with them? You seem to be, like, fairly bullish
0: with it all? Yeah, I mean, the online ones don't don't bother me. I mean, I, I, I do feel for these people that are more sensitive um, that have to use social media and the you know oh, whole family dies and all that to me it's just that's just someone using hyperbole to be angry. Yeah. I don't really think they're going to kill my family. I've never had anything where I've read it and thought that I'm in physical danger. And sometimes it's like proper geezers driving a lorry. I'm going like, to come to your gig. I'm going to fucking find you. And I'll do a video back and I'll be waiting for you, silly I mean, <laughs> cunt. They never come. They never. They no. never ever come. You know they just they just don't. It's just people who don't find you funny letting their anger out. Um, so there's a sort of a paradox with comedy that the more successful you get, you pick up more negative drag along the way. So my my Instagram, for example, metrics are hilarious because they they are almost a metaphor for comedy itself in that, so I would say I've had a good week this week. I think I picked up two and a half thousand followers this week because of the love items. So, but I've lost 600. Yeah. So I picked up two 100 net. So that the loss triangle is a lot higher on a comedian as you get, because people, humour is very emotional and instinctive and animal. So when you don't find someone funny, it's not just the same as not liking their business idea or not liking their painting, you sort of reject them on an emotion, you don't like them. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Because humour is part of you, what's he like, is he funny, is he tall? It's in the same list of things you can't change. Yeah. So you. So as you get more popular, you're gonna pick up more people that, oh, I, can't, I can't fucking stand you, I can't fucking stand you. And to be honest with you, when I'm not touring, I seek them out. So I take, I've got a gig coming up next week. I'm not, I'm not even gonna say where it is because I genuinely don't want people to know I'm gonna turn up. I'll go on, it'll be a 500 seater sold out comedy club, compare, three acts. All the audience know is that the la- the middle act has not been booked yet, it's a last minute book. That's all they know. Uh, so I've got no guaranteed love in the audience at all. So you walk on and the crowd divides very broadly into three groups immediately. The first group is, oh my God, I only paid a fiver. What a treat. What are you doing in bloody Grimsby wherever I am? Oh my God, have a selfie. That's the first group. Yeah. Lovely. No good to me, helpful, but no good. Middle group is, am I supposed to know who this prick is? Why is everyone saying prick neutral? I'm playing to them a bit. I want them to know, learn who I am. Third group, ah, I can't stand this cunt. That's who I'm there for. Why? Just them. Because if I can make 10, 20, 30% of them laughing by the end, fucking amazing. Just if that was any other business and we were selling stuff, who are we trying to sell to? The people already buying.
1: Yeah. So are you like a sadist?
0: No, I'm I'm a, I'm a someone who wants to convert people to laugh at my stuff to go hey you've not you've not engaged with me you've you've misunderstood me come and have another look does this routine make you laugh? It does. Oh we're friends now. Great. Boom. Great. Yeah. It's it people are very quick to put showbiz on into like a special ivory tower category. It's no different from selling a vaping device or a new energy drink or something. It is a lot more exciting and it's got an emotional place in our hearts. But if you look at the sh- business structure of it, it's no different. That's the way, that's what I have to do to stay sane. Wow. keeps me safe.
1: Because the reason I'm asking you about this is because there's just so many people who don't have the same thought process yeah. or resilience or mentality, or like I said, almost it's almost like a reverse psychology. Instead of going to the people that are already your fans, which probably feels nice, you want to convert these people. Instead of avoiding the haters, you confront them and call them out. And I think it's, if we can talk about this for a minute, it's great. Because there's just so many people who are just absolutely crippled by it. I mean, mm. I was regularly talking with Caroline Flack on Instagram Messenger. Just, are you all right? And then she's dead. Yeah. Committing suicide and... You know, I think it's a big thing where a lot of people just are so fearful to do anything because of all this trolling and hate online. And I really admire people like you who confront it and have got a strong front. And I guess what I'm trying to do as a business person, an entrepreneur, always trying to figure out how to solve the problem is, how could you
0: give us a bit of teaching on how we could be more like you, if you like? So, the, number one, it's very important. They're two completely different things. If my me personally was being hated, I was hated as a person, my marriage split up with Lindsay and I was in the newspapers, that is not something I'd be running towards and going to rooms for other people to speak about. What Caroline, who was my friend, who was a friend of mine, I don't know if you're aware of that, You know, I went to the funeral and everything, mm. and she, that's completely different to me taking... I don't want to lose fans here, but I'm not saying comedy is a product, because like, it's not. I, I, I'm from the heart. But I'm taking my comedy thing to people that might not necessarily find me funny to try and win them over. That is a, if you think about it, a low in, in the larger scheme of things, a low risk thing to do. What, what have I got to lose? I'm not being paid on Wednesday. Club's not paying me. There's 500 people there, 150 of which don't like me. If they don't laugh, what, what is actually at risk here? Whereas... If I'm in the newspapers and my marriage is split up and me and Lindsay have had an argument and I'm covered in blood and I'm, I've got a court case coming up, there's quite a lot at risk if I step into a public square and stand on the box, go, everyone, I want to... You know, so That's mm. what Caroline was going through. A completely different order of things that would probably finish me off as well, to be honest, at least emotionally and psychologically. So far as from a, what can an entrepreneur learn, but just look at the great brands. Look at, look at what, Mar- what Marmite did. Look at what Yorkie did. I mean, it's not for girls. One way, how to get women buying Yorkie. I mean, female sales went through the roof. Um, Look at what Catherine Ryan, my friend, did two days ago on Twitter to promote Backstage with Catherine Ryan. Men, do not click this.
2: If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process.
0: this post is not for you, 75,000 people watched it, mostly men, and now loads of people are watching a series we did together. It's, uh, look at Marmite, perhaps one of the best examples I can think of, you either love it or hate it. I mean, and that is a real thing that cannot be changed. People genuinely detest the taste of Marmite and you can't change that. It's not like I can go what I can win people over with my stand-up. I get comments like this, I used to think you were a cunt, but you actually all right, all the time, all the time. But Marmite, you're not going to suddenly start liking. So how brave of Marmite to say, that's right. Some of us do hate it. Look at Avis, Rent-A-Car. We're second, so we try harder. Boom, first. My favourite is Red is Red Bull. I mean, this is just... Uh, do you know the story of Red Bull? No. They did... So I am a big fan of as well of walking into adversity as a, as a strategy for conversion for making people like we can call it head I call it headbutting the fist or confronting the trolls whatever you want to call it. The last thing a bully expects is for you to headbutt the fist. It blows their mind if you look for the fist and nut it. They don't know what's going on. They're so confused in the end, they end up hugging you, right? So walk into adversity in a safe way, not in a way that would lead to any sort of psychological damage. But also look for the ideas that don't make sense on the surface, because I guarantee you, no one else is looking at those ideas. They've dismissed them because they don't make sense. So just go in in a small way with a strategy that doesn't make sense. And now and again, you might find that there's a stream there or a USP, a unique selling that no one else is doing. I can give you one example from the business world and one example from my world, if you want, please. Yeah. Number one, Red Bull. They did their research. You've got to read the customer research for the first round of Red Bull before it had been released. Stinks, tastes disgusting, too expensive. Um, yeah, that's it. Stinks, tastes disgusting, too expensive, and the, and the can... Wasn't the same shape. Do you know what they did? They made the taste stronger, they made it more expensive, and they made the can smaller. They went with all the three negatives. With the strategy, if something this smelly, and this small, and this expensive, imagine how much it's gonna fuck you up when you drink it. So everyone drank it. Yeah. Now, who in their right mind would not have gone back and made it less smelly, cheaper, in a bigger normal Coca-Cola sized can? But the per- I forget the name of the guy is genius. In fact, he's written a book called The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. He thought, but what if? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's called The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. He's, he's massive. He's like Ogilvy. He's not yeah, like some obscure dude. Yeah. He's like Fuck the real deal. Yeah. So I, these were things I was I would always do anyway with my stand-up. You know, what if what if I wrote a show without punch? What if I was a stand-up who didn't have punchlines? What if I made the middle of the story the funniest bit and then just went, well, that's the end, and didn't try and didn't worry about the punchlines. Would that be freeing? So I've tried that on occasion. That strategy went fucking nowhere, but I gave it a go. So far as business-wise, with my business, because it is a business, it's about ticket sales and TV bookings, I pay a tax bill, I have a family, I have a mortgage, I'm just the same as everyone else. I got to a stage in my career, it was solid enough I was in the 5 to 1,200 seater range, very happy. I would be happy to go back there, and I will be back there before long. Um, I was dug into some snow, being pursued by dogs on a survival programme for Netflix. And my companion was a 17-year-old YouTuber who I I couldn't even pronounce his name. It was just like letters and symbols. And he was so cool. Girls screamed when we took off in London, and there were Polish versions of the same girls screaming when we landed. I was like, who are you? anyway we were dug into the sand into the snow in a hideout trying to kill time and he said to me i don't understand with your lot And i was like what do you mean my lot and he was like you know like the people that go on tv and tell their jokes and save all their material why don't you just put it online man Like spotify model just for free why does no literally no one do that i didn't know at the time that no one on planet earth did it not a single professional stand-up from fucking Peru to Perth to the United Kingdom has ever gone, here's my stand up for forever. For Never been done. Why would you? Because what I said to him, no, you wouldn't do that because you can go live at the Apollo, get paid thousands of pounds. Also, it's not like music. Once someone's heard your joke, it's spoiled. So they're gonna be shouting out the end at the theater. Therefore, your idea doesn't work. You went, no, 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 you misunderstand me. You know the stuff when you do a preview that isn't quite funny enough for the final show? That's funny enough for Facebook and YouTube. And he said, and what about the stuff that's topical? So today, like what's happening in the news today, say like beer, Keir Starmer drinks a beer. Next week that will that'll be old, but it's good today.
1: You you do that a lot, don't you? Really good at the sort of hitting into what's going on right now.
0: So I came back and I thought, the other reason the idea doesn't make sense is for someone like me who's established to stick a satnav holder with a phone on it, which is what I do and to stand on the, not sit down doing like funny, hey, I'm a funny guy at home doing funny content, but to stand puffed out as though performing to a camera with an audience that I've not managed to muster, because that's what it looks like, on a programme I've not managed to get on, clearly not on Have I Got News For You This Week, if you're desperately doing it in the bedroom, you sad twat, these are all the things that went through my head that it would look like, all the reasons it didn't make sense. So I thought I'd just do it once, just for a laugh and uh, say I'm bored in a hotel room. I called it The Caning, just a pun on my name. 70,000 people watched. 70,000? So that was more than watched the thing I'd done on Comedy Central the night before. I think the the overnights were 68,000. I was like, what the fuck? And I realised if I hashtagged and wrote the hashtag of what was trending that day, it was even more engaged. And eventually I started to get viral ones and they ended up in the newspaper because I said something about Kim Kardashian and she responded or something like that happened. And then they started to, people started to come to the theater off the back of these opinionated rants, which I'm doing, I'm still doing now, I'm doing them about Love Island at the moment. Mm. So this was an idea that had at least 10 high risk things that did not make sense and went against every part of the strategy. Six months later, Facebook called me in. They actually called me into London because they were interested in what I was doing. And And they wanted to help me sort of optimize it. And so I said, well, what else is, you know, who else is doing this so I can compare? And that's when I found out that I was the only, the only one who was willing to stand as though performing and perform to no one. Because the risk is people go, well, I'm not going to see him anymore. His career is obviously fucked. He's doing stand up to no one in his bedroom. That was the risk. But it didn't look like that. Mm. Instead, it was perceived as, oh my God, this crazy guy's got so much energy. He can just riff on any topic, even in his bath. I didn't know that's how it was going to be perceived. That was the accidental benefit of pursuing an idea that didn't make sense. If you don't turn these rocks over, you just don't know. It's relatively low risk. I had what thirty-seven thousand people on my Facebook and seventeen thousand on my Instagram after years of doing it. Now they're both on ones on and a half million. One's on three hundred and fifty, mm. and it's slow, engaged game. It's not I appeared on The Masked Singer and now I've got a million. It's engaged with comedy content. People mm. slow highly engaged growth. That's what you want. Do you think you're a brave person? with, emotionally, yes, with some of the situations I walk out with a microphone, definitely. So I do a lot of work, I've got to be careful here, because the Princess Trust is an amazing thing and I'm really proud of the money that I raise for them and what they do the young people, but there's only a very small pool of people that will walk onto some of the more hardcore fundraising events they do. I mean, there is a level of posh above posh that you can't even imagine of, like clay shooting and garden parties in castles and people that are not even aware that television exists type thing. Let alone aware who I am, and they need me to go in with a microphone. Hey, sorry to disturb you. or the silent auction started. You know, just you have total courage in the face of absolute non-laughter, rejection, and humiliation. That is brave. I will admit, mm. and, and I sort of. Doing, I sort of enjoy the challenge because now and again you get a little win. And the kick of just the fundraising, of knowing that maybe I raised 50 grand more than the last host or something.
1: Mm. You talked just before we went live about rule breaking and it's come up again a bit. So rule breaking seems to be a bit of a theme for you.
0: What do you mean? Like, well,
1: just as a concept of yeah. going there, not breaking laws, yeah. but just as a concept of how can I break established rules in comedy and business, yeah. etc.
0: Yeah, I think I think just go go trying to just do things a different way. I've had so many times where people have laughed and gone, "Oh, that won't that won't work." Oh God, don't do that. Even when I was at the when I was at the agency, their company magazine at the advertising agency was called The Thinker. It was a really serious thing with a logo and all their work showcased. And I wanted to do a weekly comic where we drew everyone as these characters, and like the creative director would be like shagging someone in accounts, <laughs> and everyone was like, "You can't do that! It's, it's a professional company." And, and of course, it was. People were waiting outside the office for this printer to dispense these things. Mm. And that was naughty.
1: And is that a bit of a part of who you are? Or is that just what you learn to do to survive?
0: The rule breaking it's just looking for solutions i think when you've given minimal resources you have to sort of you know way indiana jones sort of pushes on every brick to one them oh i fucking wasn't expecting that that's what i've done my whole life um it was either that or smoke weed over the park and have a baby at 18 and do scratch cards and die that was, i didn't fancy that <laughs> One one hand job by the dog shit bin was enough to think there's <laughs> got to be another life.
1: Shall I um look at some of my questions and ask? Yeah. them? Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave Chappelle said he wouldn't advise anyone to do stand-up comedy. What do you think about that?
0: Um, no, I've advised plenty of people to try stand-up comedy. I think it's quite good in um in a non-professional way to do. It. You know, someone who might be struggling with their self-confidence or self-esteem. And in fact, um, I am in talks right now, and I've had a meeting this week with the Prince's Trust about doing some sort of project or program around it. Even if the young people didn't actually end up on stage, but to be in that environment, show calling, being near the stage, doing the analysis. Doing a public speaking course will help almost everyone. So doing a few stand-up gigs and seeing how it feels is fine. Mm. I mean, how can you advise against a career in stand-up comedy? You don't get to decide whether you have a career. The audiences do. Mm. It is a tough life. What's tough about it? Then, like you've already said, I could just end up... Theatres could be empty in five years' time. You might look at this and go, what the fuck happened to him? That is 90% more likely than you'll go, can't believe I got him in the room and look at him now. He's in America. Yeah, it's much more likely the, the former is going to happen and I have to live with that weight hanging over me. And develop other business strategies to cope with that, that. You know, the biohacking business, the property business, manage my ego, one day people aren't going to care about how funny you are. And that is, every every other business has a sort of structure and plan. You know, property, stress test your portfolio, you're ready to get out, you know, you got your interest, rate, you know, you've got your plan type thing. So living without a plan is not great probably for your health, physical or mental. and. There's just, there is just that, it is, t- it is scary to get up in front of 3,000 people in the smell of alcohol and try and make them laugh. It, it is tough, but I I, just, I can't help it. I just love it, I, I, I do love it. Um, so what's been new in the last few years are people aged under 25 going, oh my God, I'm the funny one in my group. How can I get into stand-up? And that question just b- it baffles me. Not, would you recommend a career in stand-up comedy, which I'm happy to answer and just have, but how would I get into stand-up? What kind of lazy ass, fake ass? please give me a free... They might as well say, please give me a free break, because that's what that question means. They're not, they're not interested in how to get into stand-up. They're interested if I could go, oh, God, I just watched your funny YouTube video with one view. Come on, mate. You don't need to put in five years of gut-breaking work. There's a full room through... It just ain't going to happen. Mm. Happens now and again. Happens on Britain's Got Talent. But that's like saying people win the lottery now and again and buying a scratch card and thinking you're going to win. Mm. There is only one way to get into stand up. And it's like, I I said it to Stephen when Stephen Bartlett interviewed me, but I can't think of a better analogy than the bodybuilding analogy. It's like you would not go up to a guy in the gym who's ripped and go, I'd really like to get arms like that. How do you, can you tell me how to get into it? And then you would just go, there's the fucking weights over there, dickhead. See you in three years. And it's the same with any business. If you cannot do three years unpaid, unrecognized, with no rewards, if you're not willing to, I should say, because some people obviously get there faster, if you're not willing to take three years traveling about no rewards, no sleep, no life, no family, no relationship, no holiday, fuck if you can't handle that, then you ain't gonna have a career in jack. How do I get into, insert any career, chef, restaurant, property, whatever, if you can't sit in the gym on your own doing that for three years, you don't have to be like that. I'm just saying that that unfortunately is a step you have to take. And I would, I would do that. Oh no, I've got tickets to a gig, so I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do that gig because I'm already going out with my girlfriend that night. I can almost guarantee that person won't make it.
1: And have you seen that culture change a lot since you were getting into comedy? I've seen a lot more
0: people message me with the "How can I get into?" because we're post, we're sort of post pop idol now, post pop idol, pop X Factor. So pre two thousand, that sort of mechanism was unknown. There was a few talent shows on TV. But the convergence of X Factor and Pop Idol and instant fame culture with YouTube self-publishing and streaming, the convergence of those two into the egos of 70 to 25 gives a false impression of how one can be living the Lambo life overnight. But there's still just the same amount of Lamborghinis and the same amount of money. Newsflash. Has <laughs> and, and social media changed comedy? Uh, Yes, more so in the last two years, I think. The thing we were talking about, about analog comedians and YouTube comedians. And there's some crossed over from YouTube, a support act working on my Twitter at the moment. She is amazing. You need to look out for Abby Clark. She is amazing. I mean, she's got hundreds of thousands already online, and she's taken the brave step to go, and I'm happy to stand in a smelly beer drenched theatre and show I can do it in real life. Arguably, even harder that way, because people are like, you're a what? You're a YouTuber and she's fantastic. Uh, but so the crossover and the cross penetration is now not sneered at so much. The snobbery's gone away. But before covid there was was much more of a wall between the two I think. You either saved up your material and you could be seen in a posh suit on live at the Apollo or you were hey guys, hey followers, Ooh, I've spilled a drink what's what's my what's my leg. Like you're one of that you're one of those two. And now you now you can be both. Um, and there's loads of people doing what I do now. Loads of people doing jump cuts. I stopped doing the jump cuts because so many people copied it. So I don't do the the jump cuts teleporting around the room because it got ripped off so much, so I just mm. stopped doing it.
1: Mm. And you'll have to reinvent yourself then and come well, up with something
0: new. Well, the reason... It's hard to say some things to you without looking like I'm showing off. I'm not showing off. I'm just trying to explain to people what... It's practice, there is no genius at work here. I'm no different to anyone else. I've just got probably more willpower and will rehearse things like an idiot, obsessed amount of time more than other people. So I used to have to jump up because if we were using this one camera right now that I'm looking into, and I was to try and improvise a one minute routine about last night's Love Island, about the Italian guy. Four years ago, I would have had to take 10 minutes. I would have done 10 seconds and the raw footage you'd see me going like that. Oh, I know what I can do. And then another voice. And I would need silly faces because how else am I gonna edit? I'm on one camera. So what people thought was an artistic decision to jump cut was just me cutting out the thinking time and covering it with a few silly faces. But I don't know what happened, but about 18 months, two years ago, all of a sudden, I can take a breath and just go. I no longer make mistakes. I have to think. I can do about two and a half, three minutes now. All i i maybe write down one bullet. I write nothing down. I don't prepare for anything. I just write, say, there's a guy in this Love Island thing called Davide. There's another Italian guy. So this morning I just wrote, you know, imagine two Italian guys fighting over a girl with breadsticks. That's all I went to the camera with. I didn't plan on saying um, Grissini Bucchi, which is how it finished. I didn't plan on saying <laughs> I didn't plan on saying Bollock Nays, which is also a joke I dropped. They just came out. Yeah, and that's, and that's years practice. of practice. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. Like you know the way a basketball player can just and just do a three pointer over his head.
1: Yeah. Well, the good thing about social media is you can practice live, can't you? Like a lot of the times you have to practice not live, like fighting. You
0: can't practice live. You've got to go true. through the gradings
1: before you get in the ring. True, true,
0: true, but you true. you just start practicing live. That's good, yeah. very true, yeah. And then the, stand, the equivalent of that in is stand-up is what you call a preview. So the show I'm touring at the moment, the Essex variant, the stat, the gold standard is you would do 20 to 30 previews. That's with about 40 people who've all paid maybe a fiver, and they know that you're going to have notes all over the floor and that you're going to stop and start, and some of it won't work, some of it will. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of people forget as well. Like when I say live, I mean you can do Facebook lives yep, and Instagram yep. lives on social media. But if you fuck it up, you can just delete
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and it's weird because when you're doing those as a stand-up, your body goes into live performance mode. Right. And I interact with all the comments. I did yeah. loads of that during lockdown. Loads. Yeah. I monetized my Facebook account and I've unmonetized it again. Oh. It just changed. It just changed. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. It changed. The, it. I don't know. I just.
1: Actually, because um, I wanted to talk about was lockdown was it good for you in your career? There may be some upsides, where there are upsides for you.
0: Oh God, I hate saying it because it's obviously I want to join in with the downside party, and I want to be with the majority of people. But the don't re- forget, a lot of
1: entrepreneurs listen to this, yeah. so they're probably going to. Well,
0: the reali- the reality is. I, I knew lock, what was March 26th. Well,
1: Joe Joe um, Wicks smashed yeah. it in
0: lockdown. Exactly, it? and and fair play to him. Nothing wrong with that. No, so so is it March the 26th? I think Yeah, it was March. So yeah. on so, uh, March 27th, I woke up and did a three minute caning about Boris's silly muddle policy, and two million people watched it. So that's how my lockdown started. Unmonetized. Don't earn a penny from that. It's like public service, like delivering powdered egg in World War Two. But when it comes to people finding you funny in a time of adversity, and I'm gigging my little tits off, thinking of jokes to cheer people's day up, you know, I was hope. Well, as just for the, I have to do it because it's clearly a screw loose and I just want to make people laugh the whole time. There's also the accidental advantage of, in 2022, when you go on tour, people remember that you were generous with your time and humor and everything, and they come and see you in the theater. So it's like a delayed, delayed uh, conversion Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was good and then of course my diary emptied overnight I mean overnight every podcast every radio it's hard to think that we didn't use to do things on zoom at all I mean what was zoom I hadn't Mm. heard of it so every gig we're talking Better play it down a bit. Tens of thousands of pounds worth of work here. <laughs> it wasn't tens of thousands. Billions. It wasn't tens of thousands. It was, a, it was a lot worse than that. Overnight, wiped. Corporate gigs, TV, radio, an ITV1 panel show. I've never had a mainstream evening project. I've never got one away. I was there with a commissioner that liked me on ITV1. <laughs> Halted. The week before the run-through was the next week. I did know I would have smashed that. Gone, all gone, gone. She's left, she's moved on. That's gone, binned. Finished overnight. So I'd gone from the cocky working class one who's both self employed and doing something arty to my diary emptier than Dominic Cummings' eyes overnight. I was snorting in and still had bum gravy. I was that scared that night. But I woke up the next day and bang, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Yes, I've got no income, no way of generating an income, but I'm going to just throw the free funnies out there and see what happens and I was one of the first people to pick up. We're going live by Zoom near to Russell Lorraine, stuff like that. And then of course, Steph's packed lunch got commissioned. A daytime show. I'm trapped up north, locked in. She, that show's trapped up north, locked in, but because it's got a news-based element, they're allowed to broadcast from a studio, which meant I had a job with a car into a studio, nine to five, two, three times a week. Couldn't believe it. And because I'm having to deliver news and do a, a news section I'm in the bloody key worker list anyone who broadcasts news on a public service broadcaster bbc or channel 4 you become uh, a key worker so that was my daughter back into school pretty damn quick <laughs> legally and properly into school yeah. I had a bbc one project a bbc radio 4 project underway as well, so I qualified doubly. Mm. So Evil Genius, which is my Radio 4 show, is so research heavy, that kept my mind busy. Steph kept me busy in a kind of, I've got me hippie and I feel like I'm working. And the social media kept me busy in a comedy way. I just, I didn't stop. Mm. And the other thing is, people forget, oh, two years, it wasn't, it was June 2020 when socially distanced outdoor gigs started. People need to go, go back and look at their diaries Yes, you couldn't earn money, obviously, because it's poor fuckers putting a gig on in the field. But you were on stage holding a mic, keeping yourself sane. And it wasn't too long before we had distance gigs in the theatre, it was that December.
1: Must have been different though, trying to get a room to laugh with social distancing.
0: Yeah, but it was I was so into the weirdness of it and and talking about it. Like I just had so much material on it. Mm. I was so engaged with it and not engaged in a... Oxbridge. What are we gonna do about the Tories this time? In in a belly laugh what working-class people are saying about it way I couldn't wait to get on. Mm. The more weird and spaced out it was, the better.
1: Yeah. So you said you monetize Facebook and then demonetize Facebook. That's interesting because I've done Facebook for years um, and only just started monetizing it maybe the last two. So, I've gone the opposite direction. So, why did you monetize and then why then demonetize?
0: Well, so halfway through lockdown, when I'd already done all my millions and millions of views videos and they'd been and gone, and then Facebook changed their algorithm. I don't know if you're aware, I don't know if you realised about two, three years ago if you'd have seen your views drop off. Yeah, I mean, it seems to happen every one to two years. The reason for that is they changed it so that. If, before, if someone just watched your video who you knew, it would be suggested to someone they knew. Now they've got to fit, properly interact with it, they've got to like it or they've got to comment for it to appear in all their friends' feeds. So yeah. That's a much bigger step. So approximately 90% attrition I saw, so a video wow. that would have done 2 million, could go down to as low as 20,000 and then mm. build back up from that. Mm. So I monetized after that, of course. <laughs> and. Um, I don't know, I just, fit. it was earning, I don't know, eight, nine hundred quid a month, and I was like, look at that, you know, that's, that's paying the, the gas bill, we'll go, in? and I thought, no, it's got to away from my core thing of, I'm doing it for the joy of it. Even when I'm not touring, even when I don't have tickets to sell, I want to be driven to do that. That's how I know that I've got a, a love for it, that is just about really getting off on making people laugh. Mm. Uh, and it keeps that arty, wanky side of it fully like shiny so that when I want to plug the cash-earning side into it, that bit's still intact. So that's like the, the flux capacitor crystal bit. And I, I plug it in, and then all the commercial side of it is running from a pure heart type thing. That is mm. the wanky side of what I do, where it is different to a Marmite or a selling Volvo or something or a mm. supplement. But I think that's what it is. I know that, you know, why did I post... Uh, I love Island videos. Why my my whole tour is is sold out for the spring. I don't have a ticket to sell. The autumn is about to go on. I do have tickets to sell there. Am I am I working for ITV? No. Uh, am I working for ITV too? No. Has anyone asked me to do it? No. Am I in the right age group? No. Why am I doing it? Just for the sheer arsing around fun of it. Because that's who I was before I came to stand up. I am your mate who's unpredictably funny at the end of the tape. I don't want to lose touch with that. Mm. So, you know, when you're swimming and you keep looking for where your mum is and you swim back because you don't want to drift off, I keep looking for where my mum is on the shore and it's me when I was funny before I did this.
1: Mm. So you're not tempted with YouTube, TikTok... I do all of them. But in terms of actually, you know, the ad revenue and the sponsorship revenue is significant,
0: isn't it? it I suppose if I was tempted, I would have pursued it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've done... a fair few pro- projects where part of that project has been delivered on social media platforms. It's part of a greater strategy and mm. a few campaigns. Um, so, you know, I've got, I've, I'm not like living in rags with Annie around the corner or anything, but it would be part of a larger strategy normally. Mm. Never say never. Mm. How are you finding TikTok? Grew really quickly to 300,000 and then leveled off. Mm. Don't know why. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, Weird one, TikTok. It suits. It suits the uh, shorter mm. one-minute rants. I mean, for me, yeah, the one-liner comedians smash it on TikTok.
0: Don't they? It's been TikTok has been great for me, in a in a sideways way, because as far as I understand it, I haven't I haven't got this from the horse's mouth or fact or anything, but from what I can see, Instagram have got such a boner for Reels, because Reels are competing with TikTok, right? So what that means is, I used to do three minute canings, but now a one minute caning that can drop as a reel gets an artificial algo push, if that's a word, from Instagram. Fucking greatness, Mm. I mean, I can do one minute, I can finish brushing my teeth, done, out the door. So it helps me in that sense, in that I want reels to continue to be pushed by Insta. Mm. As long as I can get an observation down in 60 seconds, it's a great way just to get a joke out. Mm. I do miss unpacking something for four or five minutes. Yeah. Freedom of speech. Yeah. Where do you think it's at right now? Uh, I, I'm trying to think of something that's suppressed. I was trying to think of an example there. I literally can't. I can't think of anything that's suppressed that isn't covered off by British law, like race relation law. Whether I sometimes think in this situation, like I'm a bit with Stuart Lee on this, I try to hide my politics here. I don't, I'd like to, people to not be able to guess how I vote, but I am a registered, believe it or not, Green Party member. So another Hessian fucking shirt on from Corbyn. Apart from the, <laughs> so I've got, oh, I like all of the green social stuff apart from the wealth distribution, because I want to keep my money. It's come from a council state and Thatcher let my dad buy his own house. But apart from that, I'm green. So I sometimes think, particularly with the older generation, uh, freedom of speech is gone. What they're really saying is, I wish I could shout the N word like back in the old days. I wish I could grab a bird's tit as she walked by. was wrong with that? It was a bit of banter when I grabbed Jessica's tit. Now I can't even like rub my fun-sized Mars bar against a slag in the pub. World's gone mad. Well, actually, no, that was always illegal. It's just finally the laws being enforced. But, but the other stuff seems free. I mean, they've launched GB News, right? Mm-hmm. It's fucking 500,000 Twitter followers. Got Leo Curse on there. I'm um, oh, sorry, I'm sorry for the other guy, Nick, something or they're doing really well, sorry Nick, um, but Leo Kearse who I know a bit, they're doing great, they're getting a voice, Jeff Norcott, one of the biggest voices, he sort of sits in the middle, soft right type thing, these voices are flourishing and being heard, they've got their own freaking channel, anyone who wants to laugh at jokes that punch down slightly can go and laugh away there if they want, Not, it's not my humour, I don't find it funny, but... They are free to speechify that if they want, as far as I understand, because I'm missing something. Well, on
1: we had an experience of it on YouTube Yeah. because I interviewed David Ike second time and it started blowing up really fast and then it got shut down, we got shut down and our, our YouTube account's been really hard yeah. to pull back. And we pulled it back and it took a long time and Harry edited it quite carefully. He didn't just leave it all yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And then it was Peter Schiff, wasn't it? And all Peter Schiff said was- Who's Peter Schiff, sorry? um, He's like an investor financial guy. He's been on Joe Rogan a load of times. And all he said was, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting this, COVID has been hard for small business. And it got us another, got us a seven day ban from a bot on YouTube. Why? I was hoping to ask you, but Harry thinks because you know the big advertisers who spend billions, like Coca Cola, don't want these kind of discussions where their ads are being. Is that what do you, Harry? You come into this conversation. Why do you think you can't say the word COVID on YouTube? So obviously, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories and things like that, and again, this links to YouTube. It's primary, uh, primary. Uh, clients are the people who pay the advertisers, Coca-Cola, Honda, uh, all these people. And when adverts, let's say your discussion with David Icke, when that's, obviously that, that was a very controversial subject of what you were
0: talking about.
1: Is he the like, one that thinks we're all lizards or something? Yeah. Well, initially he was, but a lot of the stuff he said is actually quite reasonable and now hmm. turned out to be true, well, that he got ridiculed ridiculed for 10, 15 years ago.
0: Which stuff turned out to be true? Uh, well, where do we start? <laughs>
1: Are we not allowed? To, are we? Can we not say? It no. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's turned out to be true? Uh, it doesn't matter that. It's like Co- Mercury's
0: but COVID, rip. COVID did happen. Yeah. <laughs> COVID definitely
1: happened. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. If you reference it, you can get your account shut down on YouTube. Well,
0: there is something that might be going on where the technology is malfunctioning. So I've just had an issue on Instagram. I've just finished a twenty-eight. Day. Officially, shadow banning does not exist. Okay. And I thought it was something that, you know, COVID conspiracy nutters said, oh, I've been shadow banned because I said COVID. But apparently it, it's, it is a thing. What what it, what it is, you get moved down to a, a lower feed of exposure because your account is considered. Risk- yeah, it was. Risky.
1: By, it's not by a human being, it's no. by an AI bot. So let me yeah. tell you
0: what led to my shadow banning. Mm. So we know 100% that this is not freedom of speech being suppressed, it's an AI bot getting it wrong. So whenever I post a video, go on to any one of my videos, go on to the video today that I've posted, you'll see underneath a couple of like fake Bitcoin profile. I can't believe I'm earning 200,000 a day. (laughs) And I get quite a lot of the woman with her tits out going, why do you always go to the bathroom after you look at my story? And it's like a a Russian woman with her tits out. Have you seen that one? Why are men always in the bathroom after they look at my story? You click it and you go on them. it's like one follow. It's like a fake thing. So I do like comedy replies to these Bitcoin people. I'm sending my, can I send my mum's kidneys? Can you give me an address? Like I do like funny replies and people like them. Yeah. And this, I've done it a hundred times. And this, this one bot was like, why are you in the bathroom after looking at my story? And I went, because you're having a shit, you dirty cunt. That's my replies. Okay. Very funny. And the bot picked it up as genuine misogynistic hate speech. Like I'd called a random woman, a cunt Mm. type thing publicly. Um, which would a which person is allowed to flag up as that finding too strong, and then it would normally go to an, a human to decide, is it too strong? But this didn't go to a human. It just, that was mm. it. I, all of a sudden, I was growing between five and 10,000 Instagram followers a month, and I lost 200 that month. Minus 200. Didn't pick up any. Yeah. No one was saying, why are you doing your videos at the moment? And I was posting them. Mm. You have to search for my name. Mm. So is that a suppression of freedom of speech by a lizard elite? Or is it a technology going wrong? Mm. Yeah, good question. I think it's the latter. I don't. I don't think there's a lizard elite suppressing me, because why would... Which, by the way, I didn't ask. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I don't. I don't think there's some menacing superpower controlling my freedom of speech behind it. I think it's just technology unable yet to perfectly work out what it, what really is. People telling people to go and kill Jews, for example, mm. as opposed to a comedian having a pop at someone that's not real, like the thing can't differentiate. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. But so far as the COVID conspiracy one, it's an, it's an interesting one because up to a point, I think I like to bring all views out into the open. Like I was pro, for example, Nick Griffin from the BNP going on Question Time all those years ago because I would rather have my views that I don't agree with or I can see them and look at them and debate with them and analyze them. But if something gets too much oxygen for its weight, it can sort of influence time poor, confused, maybe people who haven't had as good education as me who might be scared, mm. and they might make medical decisions for them and their family that can lead to death. So I'm guessing that's where some of these YouTube rules came from, because a lot of people, not a lot, but a sizable amount of people, people definitely some close blood relatives of mine have not had the covid jab based on youtube videos they've watched it's not based on i've read original scientific papers and visited a lab and hurl up serums that it's based on my name's dave from luton and i'm going to give you the real truth about covid and they watch dave from luton's video and they believe it which they're entitled to do but then they're making medical decisions and one of the most harrowing things i've read recently um is a non-judgmental article. I can't remember which newspaper, but didn't laugh, didn't mock the biography of these people who died, how they came to that decision, how they first came into contact with this material, how they chose not to have the jab, how they died and the family they've left behind. And it was a real wake-up call that this isn't COVID conspiracy, this isn't just a game like Brexit where we can have a row down the pub. This was life or death Mm. if you were over 50 or overweight. Um, so that's when I think it's difficult, yeah. but it's no, you're, it's a more complicated version of shouting fire in a theater when there's no fire. It's just it always is freedom of speech. Yeah. A more complicated version of that. Yeah. I'm not qualified to answer it, but I certainly would hate to think I made a video that led people to not wear their seat belts because seat belts are made by the state to strap you in, and actually seat belts are more. I developed a character during lockdown called um, Terry Donovan. Who got the real truth? And one of his theories was seatbelts, and that you're more likely to die if you wear a seatbelt, and the government covers up this information. And you know, it got, the video got removed because some people were like, I think this something been in this and all that. And I, just, I literally made it up on the way to the <laughs> toilet.
1: <laughs> what man baggage do you have? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, I do a series, is that a reference to the series? Yeah. You need to come on that. You know, I'd love you know, to. You owe me one now. So. Yeah. Well, so the male suicide rate is seven times higher than the female suicide rate Along with male stress-related heart attack um, Male eating disorders are on the rise Male steroid use is on the rise. We've got more knowledge about what steroids do to the body now than we've ever had It's not like the 1970s when my dad, Lord rest his soul, he filled himself full of steroids for 15 years Didn't know so he had an excuse and people know I know it'll kill me, but I want to look good at Ocean Beach Club. Boom. So something's obviously gone wrong with men. Women are saying there's something wrong with men, you know, the Me Too movement. And speak to 18 to 21-year-old girls that have got to date men that have watched too much American porn. flash lads. Women don't actually want a fist shoved in their mouth last time I checked. And uh, so this, something's gone wrong with masculinity. Um, we live in an age where... Men don't, I don't think they even know anymore. Ask a man if his chest is supposed to be hairy and he will actually have to think about it. Do you know, most men don't even know whether a man should be hairy or smooth. Should I back to my back? Is it too feminine? Is a girl gonna think I'm too vain? Or is it, you know? Women have been under this pressure for generations. It's not right that when a little girl leaves puberty and ends puberty and leaves it like my daughter will do. She's only six at the moment, but it will happen. There's going to be a mountain in front of her, a fucked up patriarchal mountain. But at least the mountain's there. Where the fuck is it? I can't even see the men's mountain. It's invisible and shifting and changing. And so that's what's leading, I think, to this, some of this crisis in men's mental health. So we're trapped with some of the old apparatus of can't talk, can't share has now been mixed with, you better wax your chest, you better wax your balls, you better be able to cry in front of a girl, you better be emotional, you need to be able to cook breakfast, but at the same time you need to be like Mr. Greer and shove a cucumber up her ass without feeling. It's like, what? All, none of those add up. And so masculinity is in a mess. So I wanted to make a series trying to work that out. I mean, if you went into a time machine to Jermaine to Greer and said, "In when the female unit came out, there's good news and bad news. The good news is women have elevated a bit. There's a bit more wage equalisation. You wouldn't believe there's female presidents and leaders and all this has happened. Uh, But the bit you weren't expecting is men have dropped down. Men have looked down and gone, body dysmorphia, waxing, wanting to be the prettiest one in the room, anorexia. We'll have some of that. See you down there. Just shaving my balls and I'll be down with you, ladies. So we sort of ended up in the middle, like shaved fucked up eggs altogether. (laughs) together. (laughs) The teaching's so out of date. I actually saw an experiment they did in school. Today, we're going to make the boys shave their genitals to see how much they like it. Because that's what girls have to do. And someone had to break it to the teacher that men have been shaving their balls for the last five years because of porn. It's already happening. You've missed the boat. (laughs) Am I wrong? No. <laughs> and, then, and then girls have got to date these men who think it's normal to choke a girl out or spit in her face or bang her in the ass on the third date. There's nothing wrong with a, a bit of wild porn sex uh, if that's what a girl's into on a one night stand or if you're both you're an established couple and you want to have filthy sex. Of course, I'm not being a prude. I'm just saying it's there's a generation of boys who think that's no, that's normal. That's that's how it should be every night. You know, and that's. We need better sex education for that, and we need better emotional literacy for men and more resources for men, certainly 35 to 50, because that's the high-risk group, to be able to share and and check in, because we're told we live in a world where men have all the power and men are doing so well and all that, and yet we're killing ourselves seven times more than women.
1: Mm. Wow. And that's what your show's all about, Man Baggage.
0: The gap in the market there, the idea that didn't make sense was, what if every episode's really funny? What if it's proper belly laugh funny? What if we look for the humour in it? Mm. And the insight there was what I call the boys WhatsApp group. Just go onto the girls WhatsApp group. I'm I'm looking that way because there's, there's a female here. And if you go onto the boys versus the girls WhatsApp group, it tells you everything about men's mental health. Girls WhatsApp group oh yeah yeah okay it might be david beckham with his dick out or whatever or ronaldo and funny meme. but the moment one of them goes yeah funny meme, ronaldo look at david beckham's dick have you seen Day on love island i'm feeling a bit depressed my boyfriend's left me Boom. what you want nikki you okay prosecco ambulance nikki's house group shut down nikki's house straight away boom it's if the one of the girls puts a flag like that out on the girls group this side hoe groups this it's all going off on the blokes you've got to look for it now it's never addressed He'll be oh, you seen those tits? What about Arsenal? Fucking Arsenal cunts, I hate Tottenham. Seen those tits? What about Arsenal? I've got depression. What was that, Dave? Here's a goat being wanked off. Wait a minute, Dave just said he was depressed. Where's that gone back through the feed? And you've got to look for it. So what I noticed was in the boys' WhatsApp group, when one of my boys says, I've split up, and feeling down, the next thing that's often posted will be a funny video of someone falling over in China or a goat ejaculating. So that's obviously how men work. They go, oh, it could be worse. You could have your cock out in the pub. And everyone cheers. And so I worked out that that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, that men use humour as a salve, as a way in, as that Indiana Jones in. So I said, well, let's do it on purpose. Let's acknowledge that men don't have the ability to light an aromatherapy candle and talk about their feelings in a circle. We just don't have that yet. So let's use humour and see what's behind humour. That's what we do and we talk about suicide and fucking miscarriage. We go everywhere, we're always laughing.
1: Wow. (laughs) That was my favourite part so far.
0: (laughs) And I had Lindsay on for the first time ever and we did it for the jealousy episode, so that was high stakes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So just shouting it out, it's called Manscaped.
0: Man Baggage. Man Baggage. Man Baggage. I did yeah, tour sorry, a show called a, Manscaped. I just
1: pushed my sponsor, Manscaped, for, for free there. <laughs> I did, a, I did
0: yeah. a show called Manscaping. It was one of my tour shows, Manscaping. Yeah. But yeah, it's called Man Baggage. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously a pun both on the baggage men carry and on scrotal sacks.
1: <laughs> and what about you, Russell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Um. Where do you feel like you're maybe... Not self-assured or confident or what? What, what pain do you carry?
0: Mm, that's a good one. Because it looks so bad if you can't think of an answer, doesn't it? you Like such a like serial killer or like Elon Musk's bicep or something. You're <laughs> just, Are you just buying there? yourself some time here. <laughs> I suppose um, just the uncertainty with the, the stand-up, the constantly having to pedal in. It's very, very exciting being trapped at the, oh, that big project's come up, let's do that stage. But part of me would like to be, have a a bit of a tummy and and be in a suit and have one thing going on and I'm on for every Friday night on ITV. At my age, really, I would prefer to be there if I'm completely honest with you. But I'm trapped at 28 to 35 year old stage of my career. It's another big thing. Something else new is starting. I find it incredibly exciting and I love it. Is it healthy? Time will tell. So I suppose there's a bit of insecurity about how much longer can I be the ne- trapped at the next big thing stage. It's exhaust. Mm. It is exhausting. Uh, when I crash, I really crash energy-wise. Mm. So far as pain and anything like that, I mean, I, I poor, I'm gonna have to, if I can give Hoffman, they're going to have to give me some shares, but I did the Hoffman process in this country. And it, honestly, anything I had like that going on was is fixed and has, has stayed fixed. If you've done up the Hoffman, have you heard of Hoffman process? Right. It's eight-day residential. Check your phone in at the door. No books. No phones. No outside. Well, no nothing. The problem with regular therapy, I, I always say I haven't had therapy. But I suppose it is a sort of course type. I call it more like a course. Is the second, you step out from your counsellor, you're back on your face. It's fucking faded in a second. Whereas this is a hard reset. This is a control or delete of the emotions. I'm afraid you sign an NDA at the end, so I can't tell you any of the things that happen. It's purely because the surprise assault of some of the things that happen is part of the, the process and it would spoil it for other people who might benefit. But at least once a month, I receive a very often tear-stained, handwritten letter from people on their eighth day. On the eighth day, you're allowed to write a letter to anyone to say anything you want, who's who made you come to the Hoffman course? Oh, I write mine to Goldie, the DJ, whom I'd read in a magazine, and I get one of those a month. Tears all over it. Oh my wow. god! Oh, thank you. People think I'm exaggerating, but it's a total game changer. I mean, yeah. I wasn't like I wasn't like rocking back and forth, taking overdose, junky, messed up. I, if I was, I'd have like a real juicy book out or something. But I was, definitely had some behaviours that needed looking at. Um, and they, they were getting a slightly out of hand. So what were they? Oh, God, here we go. Uh, I don't want to jump, because uh, it's sort of Elizabeth Day got it out of I me. Mean, she's expecting to have the exclusive, but she's not released my episode yet, so i are going to stamp all over her feet here. But the, uh, so I had come from an undivorced household, unabused, I was never hit, I never went hungry. There's nothing juicy in my childhood. The only thing is, my dad was total alpha male. Steroid injecting, shaven headed, right wing, knuckle dragging, weightlifting, metal welding, meat eating, racist nut job, Dave. Life's shit, everything will be shit, it all turns to shit, prepare for shit boy, life's a piece of shit. So that's why I grew up with that. He wasn't abusive, he was just accidentally like kryptonite negative energy. Anything I could think of, you're wasting your time, and I'll go fucking wrong, load of shit. So that was my whole childhood. Um, but happy, just he wasn't a happy man. So that's the only thing I can think of that led to me having some issues with, I suppose, regulating temper. Um, I've, touch wood, I've never even, I don't, know what, I don't think I've ever raised my voice to another human being, other than an argument with a girlfriend. Like I've never been in an altercation, I've never had a fight. Uh, my thing was inanimate objects. I just could, I could not get on with car keys, laptops, TVs, and it got worse and worse and worse and, and expensive.
1: Couldn't get on as in you couldn't work them or you'd smash no, them. No,
0: if it went wrong, run out of battery, out the window, you go onto the street, <laughs> stamp on it, burn too. a laptop, and. Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, so that was quite bad. And then also if I was having an argument with a girl, so the only people I would ever have an argument with, not my parents, just a girl, girlfriend. So the arguments would get out of hand. Uh, and she would shout at me, and because I've got a thing where maybe from my dad where I can't shout at another human being, can't bear confrontation like that. It's weird, I've ended up doing stand-up. But real confrontation, I would maybe punch a wall or something. Uh, that's how it started. And it changed into sort of 10-20% of me knowing that I would be injured when I did that gradually changed into 30% of me hoping I would be injured when I did that to 70% I wonder if I can break my arm this time into full-blown self-harming basically uh, which is the type of self-harming I experienced I've never I've never met anyone who's experienced it people that self-harm Uh, I wish I had some attention. This is my way of feeling loved if I make the pain the pain inside stops That's not what was going on with me Mine was how control this raging boiling energy and it was like puncturing a balloon It just stopped straight away So if I picked up a pencil and put it through my arm, I was great afterwards problem was got a hole in my arm It's not sustainable as a, a as a life strategy. Obviously scary for the people who loved me never even a trace of aggression to another human being i would be totally honest with you if there was but never i literally even like i can't I struggle to hurt a wasp but with myself there was no struggle and they got more egregious and more out of control until eventually one day i mean it is funny i will do it a stand-up one day when i'm ready I Was having an argument with my ex at the time i was very tired just done a preview not really obvious no i can't take being shouted at because it reminds me of my dad and I just headbutted my dinner as hard as I could. Chinese takeaway, boom, Headbutted it. Just classic male, pathetic temper. But unfortunately, the ceramic of the plate just pff, cut my head like open. Thankfully, there is a massive scar here, but it's a, beyond the hairline, which is why I derma roll and minoxidil regularly, because I don't ever want that scar to show. It's either that or it's a holiday to Istanbul, Do you know what I mean, Rob? And, uh, <laughs> I, and I sat up, the blood went <sighs> across the living room, uh, and I immediately lost sight because the blood was going in my eyes. I thought I would blinded myself. I, I, I thought I'd blinded myself. Uh, I'd never been so scared. I'm sliding down, I'm blind, I'm blind. <laughs> then I realised it was just blood. I cleared the blood. And then I was picking bits of fucking skull. I thought it was bits of skull out of my head. And it was, it was turned out to be special fried rice. But the point is, for a minute in my head, I blinded myself and cracked my skull open. I ended up in casualty with a nurse, uh, um, a domestic abuse nurse who would not believe the story and thought my ex was, had beaten me up. I thought, so that's nice for my, the woman to, and my, wife, my ex-wife to go through, basically insinuating that she would domestically abused me. Because um, I'd just never seen anything like that. To then having to think of a fake cover story to tell everyone, oh, I passed out with exhaustion and having to start my Edinburgh run with stitches in my head. And I was like, what's going to happen next time? I'm going to fucking kill myself. And everyone's going to think I've done it in like a depressed, self-harmy way, but it's a mechanical issue of self-regulation. So the temper would rise up, so I thought, I've got to get this fixed. Googled, and it came up when you really are ready to change. And I saw this quote from Goldie. and like a drum and bass graduate. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. And I did it that September, August. It was July the incident happened, and in September I enrolled. And Touchwood, touch wood, that's 2009. I have never, ever, not once, not ever even had one tremor of anything like it ever again. Proper, like, Lord's water overnight cure. Crazy. So if you really got something like that, and there were, I was one of the mild people there. There were people that were fucked up on that call. they been on antidepressants for years. People that were really lost. I was, like, there was almost like a, a one-off, you know, like, a dented panel that just needed to be taken off and replaced. I had one specific thing to fix. Um, i never forget, there was one guy who was like, you know, like, the sort. Of, uh, there was no evidence for it, but you know, you just see some men, you think he doesn't like women. Do you know, you get a vibe from. He, he was grey, fucking, just looking all the women weird, just something not right about him, but depressed fucking brummies, a load of old shit. I don't know how they did it. The colour, it was like someone being coloured in. As the week went on, It was, you know, like old computer uploading dialogue. The colour came into his face. He was messing around in the game. He just, he changed as a human being. It was fucking weird, man. It is a weird, intense process. But if you Google it, it's, you won't, I can't find any negative testimonials. Wow. None. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've hidden this for years, you know. I've got scars all over me. You can see. I used to pretend that was from a rabbit I owned. It's not from a rabbit I owned. I did that. What did you do? Uh, I think that was maybe an uh, I don't know these are pencils it could be just like a drag with a pencil that one there was I hit I a, a, a hit like a shop front like that with my wrist and a bit of metal came out and just cut my wrist open I was very lucky it didn't cut the vein and mm. I was just like oh, man this is getting out of hand now but it's so weird and it's very like men being treated for that is quite rare and anyone being treated for um, Self harming issues like that beyond 25 is extremely rare. And for it to ramp up as I was getting older, I just, I've never met anyone. I've never met a, another person that's had that. Um, I'm glad I got it fixed though. Mm. I, I, that, that's why I've had children like I was determined not to have children until I had that licked. And now it's licked. Now. I mean, I still have the normal bell end male behaviour like slamming the door if I can't find my car key, you know. But that's within the normal realms of twat, you know. I <laughs> yeah. oh, fucking can. Like, I'll have a shout, but no like weird stuff, no scary stuff.
2: Yeah,
0: gone. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Oh uh, well, sorry Elizabeth, if this has gone out before. <laughs> I
1: think we, we may have a little bit of a cue. If you want us to leave it until after, don't mind. So. I don't know. No,
0: nah. I don't. I mean, it's, it's you know. I didn't promise it's next week. It just came out. Yeah. Because it sounds. Uh, you don't want to sound like mental, do you? <laughs> and people are gonna hear that and think I was totally mental, but it wasn't. It was no it was just normal working class oh Lee punches a wall when he loses his temper, Our mind was just out of control. Mm. It was like it's very common with working class boys that have not learnt regulation because right. their dads didn't my dad would kick a bin or he would say there was no cap on yeah. where his moods would go, so I wasn't taught restraint and posher households tend to teach that. Mm. So when, and this is why you see that's in fatherless households, so these sort of problems with young lads, because you have to practice self-regulation. You have to mm. learn it. Mm.
1: I want to make sure you get a break before you go on Yeah, tonight. Yeah. So should we um, do a quick fire round? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can answer. Am I
0: capable of a quick fire? <laughs> what really pisses you off? Unkindness and selfishness. I can't, I can't bear it. Even on like, not like on a wanky like Caroline Lucas Green Party level, obviously I don't like that, but just Just people that take the piss and liberties and think you're gonna and take advantage of your good nature I am a helpful person Lazy ass fuckers that just selfishly take advantage of that and want to be carried. It does wind me up Who's the most underrated comedian do you think? Alive or dead? Underrated how? Fame
1: wise or critically? Critically, as in who you think's brilliant, but maybe didn't get the
0: um, notoriety or respect for that? Well, I've got one answer for each. Dan- Daniel Kitson does not have the world-class recognition he should. Probably the best stand-up on the planet. Have you heard of his name? No. Exactly. Uh, so he's just... And, he'll ha- and what's, what I love about that is he will vomit with disgust that I'm recommending because I probably represent everything he loathes. But he's just amazing. Yeah, like won't act, doesn't advertise his gigs. Won't play Fridays and Saturdays in case he's drunk. But just the pure best stand up on earth. Yeah. Won the Perrier without even trying. Who doesn't get the critical recognition they deserve? Who, who is that? All of the best comedians you can think of, and the ridiculous snobbery that surrounds Peter Kay or Michael McIntyre. So I reckon Michael McIntyre is probably the best in the in the country so far as. Fun- I mean, this is a bit, it's making people laugh for God's sake. You know, st- take your head out of your fucking snobby ass. Was it funny or not? You're just jealous that-, that Michael is funnier than you. I look at his routines and I feel envy that he's come up with one of those, but then I go away and try and write something funny too. I don't go, oh, you know, he didn't, he didn't le- leave a postmodern gap at the end, therefore it's not, who-, who are you to tell me there should be a postmodern gap at the end of a sentence, get fucked. You know, so I can't bear the snobbery around people who dare to be really funny. I mean, what kind of madness is that? Mm. So the people who are very successful don't get the critical recognition they deserve in my business, whereas musicians can have both and do all of the time. Mm. But for stand-ups, it's a lot harder. Mm. I mean, you can probably think of some. Uh, Dave Chappelle, I suppose. They get the critical and commercial success, but it's mm. so rare. What about
1: the most overrated comedian, in your opinion?
0: <laughs> uh, But can they be overrated? This is is what I say to people. Me and you could both read now the novel I'm reading, The Memory Police by a Japanese novelist who's just won the International Booker, and you could put it down and go, that was a boring load of shit. And I go, wasn't it amazing? How do we judge who's right out of me and you? Yeah. Can we objectively judge who's right? No, we can't. Mm. You can get literary experts and go, well, fuck literary expert. Me and you go into a room now of a thousand people and try to be the funniest. Is it a a subjective decision? Or can I put a decibelometer in the corner and measure in an animal way? How many other art forms elicit a noise that can be measured? How many? None, drama doesn't. Is is that person having a feeling? I've, I've acted in drama. So how can someone be overrated? They're either making the room laugh or they're not. The only way you can be overrated is if you're being put on telly and on stage to silence and then powerful producers are pretending you're funny when you're not. Well, I'm sure that does happen, but they don't last very long. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's an excuse for a lot of people that don't like to see maybe female acts on TV. Oh, she's just got it because she's female. Or even if she did, she, she sure enough was funny enough when she got there or she wouldn't have been asked back a second time. Mm. I really like it when I ask shit questions but get good answers. <laughs> but, I don't, it's the, it, but you can be an overrated novelist. You can be an overrated artist. Look at, uh, I don't know, Jackson Pollock, for example. Yeah, fuck off. If you don't know what he is, he did action mm. painting. It's like, it's fucking shit, isn't it? it that's what I think. Mm. It, it's overrated. But I can't... I might not find Dave Chappelle funny. I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make me laugh. But I can't really say he's overrated because... He walks on and thousands of people laugh. Mm. The rating is linked to a measurable result. Mm.
1: Who do you most admire and why? Do you mean
0: comedy or just generally?
1: I don't do one of each.
0: <laughs> I'd probably, would probably be Lindsay, my missus. She's a, she's. A, I, it's, it's annoying that everyone says that, but I actually do mean it in like a commercial, enterprising and human spirit sense. She's fucking awesome, as well as being like cracking looking. So, uh, but from a comedy perspective, I, I for me, Lee Mack goes down the middle enough for me. Just the brilliance of the writing and performance, mixed with mainstream chops. He just he can turn his hand to anything. And he was also I was apprentice to him, as it were. I was his support act. He was like my you know my You my, taught me my shit, and I just really I just admire the way his his brain works. But. You know, you've got to remember, I don't come from comedy, so all my idols are writers, and I'm very, I'm a bookworm. I read, 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 read. And at the moment, there's a novelist. She's called Kit, Kit, Devo- Kit DeWall. W uh, W A L. She wrote this amazing novel. If you can get through it without crying, then you're a serial killer. It's called My Name is Leon, and it's just been adapted for TV this week. Lenny Henry produced it. Go and watch it on iPlayer. If you're not into books, watch that. She's such an amazing writer. Uh, she, wrote, she writes about this mixed-race boy and getting separated from his brother. The brother gets adopted because the brother's white and the other family don't. It's such a fucking good novel. And she's written two novels. She's 56 when she published her first novel. I mean, that should show anyone listening to this, oh, I'm 45, I've not started my business. Yeah, fuck you. Listen, Kit de has written the best novel I've ever written at 56. She's probably going to win the booker. And um, I just think she's brilliant and she likes my comedy too, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What makes great comedy?
0: It's funny if it makes a room full of people laugh. It's dangerous to to analyze beyond that, I think. Uh, What makes comedy art is originality of comedy, but comedy doesn't have to be art. That's the mistake people make. It's nice if you can be funny and original. I did it just to to show off. I I was determined to win that Perrier Award. If you don't know what it is, that's the biggest award you can win in my industry for being on stage, is the Edinburgh Comedy Award, Perrier Award, whatever you want to call it. I was like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to bring what I know about writing and copywriting. I'm going to mingle it with what I don't know about being funny. And throw them together, you get an original style. So that's why I won it on the fourth attempt. I was nominated four times. So I'm not dissing originality. I'm just saying, who cares? Who cares, if someone does a really funny routine about budget airlines, uh, you know what it's like being on an EasyJet and a thousand people are howling, laughing and crying. I can't bear the snobbery. Oh, not another budget airline routine. Who says we have to be original? Get down off your pedestal and make that audience laugh. They work their tits off. They're nurses, teachers, solicitors, bin men, supermarket workers, they're having a drink. As long as they laugh, until they actually like the women are starting to piss themselves and they have to go out and the men have got gut ache. Who are you to judge how that laughter's been made? So that that you know mm. funny. Is it funny? Some things you can't explain. Like a Tim Vine. He comes on with like a purple have you seen Tim Vine? It's the mm. one like comes on wearing a purple wig. <laughs> this is how he opens. He comes on wearing a purple afro wig and a stick. Uh, and he goes, I probably shouldn't have eaten the candy floss on the roller coaster, should I? And it's just so stupid. It's the type of joke my six-year-old daughter would make. It's so funny. Mm. And yet Stuart Lee will take you on a journey somewhere you can't imagine, down a rabbit hole of intellectual backflips, and you'll cry with laughter. The two are equal because they are funny. Mm. What's the best
1: advice you ever remember receiving?
0: Mm. <laughs> probably my nan. I had a big row with my dad when I was nineteen, again about racism, and I went and lived with my nan, who, she was sort of couldn't be a parent for my mum and her brothers and sisters, so because she's now alcoholic mess. But to us, all the grandchildren, she's this wild, funny character. And I ended up living with her in a house association. So that's probably the, the, smallest my world's ever been. Single room, didn't even have a wardrobe. I had nothing. No A levels. Fuck my A levels. I was sort of back to ground zero. And my nan, I just split up with this girl when I was crying my eyes out. I was fucking old, about 20 years old, 20 year old, fully grown man, sobbing. And she gave me a bit of advice and I, I use it every time I feel down. And she said, laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and you're a cunt. <laughs> Did she really say that? And that's what my nan said to me.
1: That is wisdom of the ages, <laughs> that is, isn't it?
0: And I know it seems like, I'm not. I'm not talking about medical depression here, I'm <laughs> talking about, Sometimes you just need to have a bit of a word with yourself and mm. think about Ukraine and think, you know what, yeah, my hotel room wasn't ready for a 1pm early check-in, but at least I'm not living in Mariupol. Mm. Mm.
1: <laughs> What's the biggest risk you've ever taken?
0: Probably putting my stand-up online for free with a shit iPhone and trying to start something new. It could have it really sort of ended what I was doing. Mm if I'd have gone too big with it too early. I think, I think that was more risky than I realised at the time, I think.
1: Do you have a 15-second mental health or strength tip, maybe especially for men?
0: It's just, it's such a cliche, but a problem shared, and men, men are so bad at it. I promise you, no matter what it is, if you get a, a close friend you trust and share it, that is the difference between life and death. That's for the person suffering. For the other people in the group, the difference between men and women is if I've got my female friend or Lindsay or you were checking with your female friend and you're like, Becky, are you okay? You look down, are you okay? She's probably on the first or second time gonna start crying and going, Oh my god, damn it, cheating and he's gonna take one or two knocks. Men take five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten asks. You might be told to fuck off. You might even he might even go for you. If you're not willing to go past that, your friend could end up fucking hanging from, from a, a beam. So you need to check in multiple times with men, more than you would think, because they will not uh, drop that front. They would rather commit suicide than drop the front. So it is about front a lot of the time with men. Yeah. So the only way to do that is to be annoying. Pubs don't, you can't, WhatsApp and all that, it's all very well in voice notes, it's not the same get to the pub and get to the coffee shop if there's alcohol issues or just get anywhere in a physical environment because it does make a difference when you can see each other and you can touch and contact. It makes a massive difference. This show's called Disruptors. What does disruptive mean to you? Everything we've been talking about, really. Finding where the edges are of your business and then testing those by either doing things that don't make sense or legally breaking rules in a controlled way and seeing what happens. Turning over stones there where you know nothing's underneath. And maybe something was on the other side of the stone rather than on the ground. Um, and, and doing things wrong on purpose and seeing what happens sometimes can be fun. Not, in, not playing massive financial risk, but like I said, I experimented with doing stories where I didn't worry about the punchline. Sometimes that went fucked up, but sometimes a punchline came once I found the joy of the story and that is the no stand-up will tell you to do that apart from me mm. that's very disruptive
1: mm. right what are you working on what are you promoting what shows have you got coming
0: up your social
1: media where can we go
0: right so I'm Russell underscore Kane on everything apart from Facebook where I'm official Russell Kane. Uh, go there for free content and to find about out about the shows um, I'm always working on a sitcom and a panel show that never gets commissioned, never happens. <laughs> like, always have. They're all in. They're all actually in with production reviews. They're always in with channels. It's not like I'm just David Brenting at home. They are They are in. Of course, I'm on Channel 4 once or twice a week. I've ended up continuing with this uh, daytime show. Where else can you be live, funny, without delay, and the producers, trust you? Channel 4 is the answer. So You can always flick on Channel 4. I'm normally hanging about on there in the day. Uh, as well as all the normal panel shows, the usual things you'll see me cropping up on, uh, but mainly just come to come to see the tour, the Essex variant. It's all about what happened to us in 20 and 22 and 21. It's belly laugh funny, not intellectual. The Tories, the Liberal Democrats. I went to Oxbridge funny. It's belly laugh funny about those subjects, mixed with all the normal stuff i do and all the improvisation yes it's sold out spring but i've just added a shed load more for autumn and due to the cost of living crisis there are tickets available (laughs) you've done that before (laughs) i haven't actually i'll be doing it again that went quite well
1: (laughs) this has been great russell thanks so much thank you
0: thank you very much